You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Good morning, everyone. See, we have a full house this morning, and that's always a, a privilege to be here with you. My name is Wesley, one of the pastors here at King's Church, and today we find ourselves in Acts 13, verses 1 through 12. Now, when Abby and I, my wife, um, she's in the back there taking his photos, uh, Abby and I, when we first met and started dating, there were a few things that we had to agree upon in order for me to continue dating her. All right, number one, and guys, don't make a list, ever make a list, uh, just keep in your head. Number one, uh, she had to love Jesus. That was evident, like I had to, you know, she had to love Jesus and, and she'd knock that out of the ballpark, check. Uh, number two, she had to one day be willing to live out of the state of Georgia. Okay, I'm from Georgia, didn't want to live there my whole life. We had to, we had to make an escape and thank God we're here in D.C., so check number two. And number three, this was a little silly, but it was important to me. She had to at least have an appreciation for the greatest trilogy of all time, Lord of the Rings. All right, we're still in counseling today. Uh, we're still in process on this one. We haven't made it through. But I, I love this movie. And as I, as I think about this passage that Camille just read, my mind immediately goes to one of the scenes from the movie The Two Towers, J.R. Tolkien. And if you will let me nerd out for a moment, I'm going to read this narrative, one of my favorite scenes of the movie, when Gandalf, who's going to be on the screen in just a moment, when Gandalf storms into the castle of Rohan. Gandalf, if you don't know who he is, he's this wizard who was known as Gandalf the Grey, who then in the second movie turns into Gandalf the White. And he arrives in the city called Rohan with a posse of elite warriors, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli. And instead of finding this bustling, prosperous land, they enter the king's courts to find that the king had been poisoned by the whispering lies of Grimma Wormtongue. That dude needs to see the sun, man. He needs a suntan for sure, right? Gandalf quickly assesses the situation and he speaks to Grimma and he says, be silent as he rebukes him. Keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. I love how he talks. And Theoden, the king whose mind has been captured by the evil one, Saruman, Gandalf approaches him and he says these famous words, I will draw you, Saruman, as poison is drawn from a wound. Well, Saruman thinks he has the upper hand. He speaks through Theoden because of the lies and deceit that he has poisoned his mind. And he thinks he has the upper hand. And in this climactic moment, Gandalf throws off his gray cloak and exposes the white cloak underneath. And the light and the power of Gandalf the White shines forth. Saruman is stripped of his power and he's cast out of Theoden, removing the once lies and deceit of evil from his mind. What an epic, epic scene. How could my wife not love this movie, right? Now, there is no proof of uh, Tolkien's influence from this passage in Acts, but I have to believe he must have been inspired by what we just read. This is a powerful moment in the early church, a moment when we see light overcoming darkness, a moment when we see truth casting out lies, a moment when we see, once again, this theme that we've been uh, exposed to in the book of Acts, that the gospel message, the message of Jesus Christ, overcomes, triumphs over that which is evil in this world. And that really is the main part of this text today, that the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, triumphs over evil in this world. 
And so today we're going to briefly look at this passage, and yes, I said briefly, okay? That's everyone's favorite word that a pastor ever says, is briefly. But we're going to look at this passage briefly today. We're just going to see how, how Paul and Barnabas, as they're sent out from the church of Antioch, how they experience both open doors to those receiving the gospel and opposition against the gospel. And we'll see in this passage how they attack in their plan of those who speak in opposition. And so our outline's simple. Number one, we'll see that Paul and Barnabas go speaking the word of God in verses 4 and 5. And then in verses 6 through 12, as they meet our magician, who we'll meet in just a moment, we'll see them safeguarding the truth in the midst of evil opposition. So let's go and dive in the text. And before we get to verse 4, let's just kind of set the stage of where we are in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1 and 2, we see that Jesus ascends into heaven and he gives his promise to his disciples that he's going to make his name known through them. They are going to bear witness through uh, the Spirit of God, which will descend upon them in Acts chapter 2. And they're going to be his witnesses, not only in the city of Jerusalem, but through the outskirts of Judea, Samaria, and then finally to the ends of the earth. And up until that point, after Acts chapter 2, we see the church growing in Jerusalem. And then because of circumstances, mainly, primarily, persecution in Acts chapter 8, we see that the church is then scattered into Judea and Samaria. And occasionally there would be these divine interventions, like when, uh, when Paul, excuse me, when Peter was, uh, received a vision to go visit Cornelius, and when uh, Philip was led by the Spirit to the Ethiopian eunuch, we see these moments of divine inspiration, but, but ultimately the church is being scattered because of circumstances, because of persecution. And everywhere they go, people believe, and the church continues to grow. And then we get here to Acts 13, and a few weeks ago we studied the the church of Antioch, this multicultural, multi-ethnic, mission-sending church that is doing incredible work in the city of Antioch, and we get a glimpse of their leadership in these first few verses. And here we see for the very first time that the church is actually planning intentional missionary trips to places where the gospel had not gone. It's not circumstantial anymore, it's not persecution that's leading them to other places, They are planning intentionally, praying intentionally about how to send people out to take the gospel to areas that had never gone before. And we see that they pray together, they fast together, and the Spirit confirms that Paul and Barnabas would be sent out for the very first overseas mission trip in the history of Christianity. And they travel from Antioch across the Mediterranean Sea to this island of Cyprus. And that's where we pick up in our story today as they speak the word of God. Verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And then from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived on the island, they arrived at Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Now, the emphasis here we see is not necessarily of where they're going as much as is what they're doing when they get there. They hop from city to city to two major cities. We'll see them first in Salamis proclaiming the word of God. And then in chapter, verse 6, we'll see them go to Paphos, which is the seat of the government, the main city on the island of Cyprus. And wherever they go from city to city, their goal is simply this, to proclaim the word of God. And although today in our modern context, we have different governmental structures that divide our world, we have globalization that has brought us together in some ways, we have challenges between language barriers and things that perhaps Paul and Barnabas didn't have to deal with at this moment, regardless of how complex it might be, today as people get sent out from cities like this, all across this city and all across the world, however they get there, whatever it takes to stay there, the goal remains the same, that they would proclaim the word of God that they would speak boldly the word of God. 
Now, notice Paul's strategy here. We'll see this strategy continue because from this moment on, the rest of the book of Acts is going to follow these missionary journeys of Paul. And his strategy is he always starts with the Jews. He goes to the synagogue. Now, why would he go there? Well, there's theological reasons for it. There's biblical reasons for this. If we go back to the Old Testament, we see that God promised the, the forefathers of Israel that the Messiah would come and that they would believe in the Messiah, they would believe in this promised Messiah, and then that Messiah would then redeem the nations. And so Paul, even as he writes in Romans, he talks about the power of salvation first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. But we also see a very practical reason why Paul would go to the Jews first. Paul, if we recall, was uh, this Pharisee. Uh, He learned from one of the greatest teachers of the day. He went to the greatest schools. He had the terminal PhD degree that you needed to stand up and proclaim the Messiah from the Hebrew Scriptures. In other words, Paul practically was thinking through, this is where there's open doors. This is my open door to proclaim Christ the Messiah. And likewise, as we think about going throughout our own lives, as we think about where God has placed us here in D.C., it begs the question, where are the open doors for us? Where are the places that God has put you? Where are the spheres of influence that he has given you access to? Where are the people that are around you? That is an open door to receive the word spoken. You know, oftentimes we might pray for opportunities to make Jesus known in our lives. But I think perhaps a more accurate prayer would be, God, would you, would you open my eyes to those opportunities? that are right in front of me. Because he's granted all of us giftings, uniqueness about our personalities, opportunities because of our jobs and our career fields that have placed us in in specific places and times where he can use us to speak the word boldly. Now, as they're speaking God's word, and as that's kind of the main uh, point of their missionary journey up until this moment, we see that not only are there open doors to those who receive it, but there's also going to be opposition in the way of it. And that's where we get to Verse 6, then they switch to safeguarding the truth. Follow along with me in the story. It gets a little crazy here. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Now, what a name, a title to put on your business card right there. (laughs) Jewish false prophet, magician, Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemus, who's Bar-Jesus' other name, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. I can just imagine that Gandalf stare, right? Just like looks intently at him. And he says, you son of the devil, You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And so they get to Paphos, and they encounter these two distinctly different men. First, we get Bar-Jesus, who's also known as Elemus. He's a Jewish false prophet and a magician. Now, when you think about magician, don't think about those like people who do card tricks on America's Got Talent, okay? They have their own issues, but that's not, that's not this guy, okay? <laughs> right? Um, when, I, when I was growing up, my mom used to say, and I don't know why she emphasized 
these two things, but she would always say, you can be whatever you want to be. But oftentimes she brought up two different professions that she would not want me to be. One of those was a pro wrestler, which I don't know why she even thought that was like possible. And number two was a magician, thanks to Harry Potter, apparently. Uh, but I, that's not, look, we're not David Cofferfield here floating on the Grand Canyon. When, when it says, uh, excuse me, magician here, this is someone who is practicing dark magic. This is wicked. This is evil. This is twisted. This is deceitful. This is something we don't want to mess around with. And then we meet this second man, Sergius Paulus, a Roman, a Gentile, a very important magistrate. He's called the proconsul, and the proconsul was essentially like a Roman governor, the head of the state. Think of like a state governor today. He's a very important man on the island. And Paul sees what's happening here. This magician, Elimus, has somehow worked his way up into some kind of counselor of the proconsul in such a way that he is trying to instruct and convince Sergius Paulus not to believe what Paul and Barnabas are speaking. He's whispering lies and deceit into the ears of this man. And so what does Paul do? Well, Paul gives him a blistering rebuke. Notice what he says in verse 10. He identifies him in three ways, and these are not three things you want to be said about you. Number one, you're a son of the devil. (laughs) Welcome. Now, there's a play on words here, because the guy's name is Bar-Jesus, and the word Bar is Aramaic for son. And so his name literally is Son of Jesus. And Paul is saying, you are not a son of Jesus. In fact, you are a son of the devil. And then he continues, and it gets worse. He calls them an enemy of all righteousness. This is not simply a man who has a different perspective that you would invite to a roundtable discussion to have a friendly conversation with, right? He's saying, no, you are, you are opposing the righteousness of God. You are actively living in complete opposition to God. And then he says, thirdly, he is full of deceit and villainy. He's not telling the truth. He's a false prophet. He's only looking out for his own interests. Maybe he's fueled by pride. Maybe he just doesn't want to be wrong in front of Saul, or excuse me, Paul and Barnabas. Or perhaps he's fueled by his own bottom line interest. He's thinking, I made it this far with the proconsul. I don't want to lose what I have. So he continues to spread deceit and lies. And Paul ends with this question. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? In other words, in the gospel, the Lord has made what is crooked straight. The Lord has taken us off the crooked path where we are living, as Ephesians would say, in our trespasses and sin. And he has, by his mercy and grace, straightened out the path to God, a life where we can live eternity with him. And yet what Bar-Jesus is doing, what Elimus is doing, is he is doing the complete opposite. He is taking what is clear and plain, being proclaimed as truth to the proconsul, and he is trying to distort it. He is trying to cause deceit, to divert, to distract, to get in the way of the gospel message. And so what does Paul do? Well, Paul invokes through the hand of the Lord a temporary judgment on Elimus. He is blinded. We don't know how long, but we know that the mist falls, and then he is looking for someone to lead him by hand. He receives this temporary blindness. Now, I want us to notice a few things about this. Number one, Paul gives this rebuke, but he doesn't always give this type of rebuke, okay? Uh, let's just calm down for a second. This isn't like Paul's like major evangelism strategy for the rest of the book of Acts, okay? He doesn't go into town and say, thanks for having me, you sons of the devil. Like, he doesn't, that's not his opening line usually uh, as he approaches those even that are in opposition to him. 
But I think there's a few things that we can learn warnings about this as believers in Christ. The first warning is this. We have to be careful not to always speak this way to those who might oppose us. We don't need to lead with judgment every time we figure out that someone is opposed to us or doesn't believe the same thing that we believe. It's not the the way of the cross, the way of Jesus Christ who came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. And so to compel people by the love of God is part of our Christian influence, to love people, to not alienate others from us. But I think perhaps the more common mistake we might make is to never speak this way. And what I mean by that is to never stand up and protect and guard that which is true in Christ Jesus. You see, what Paul is demonstrating for us is the need to safeguard the truth of the gospel. The need to see that there are times when evil will oppose that which is good. There are times when evil will get in the way of seeing the gospel go forth to someone who desires to believe. Now, you can just think about how this would go down today in D.C. Like if if the media got a hold of this, if Twitter got a hold of what Paul said here, uh, this man would be labeled intolerant. Uh, He would be labeled as, as someone filled with hate. But it's not hate that's motivating Paul to speak such a harsh rebuke. In fact, it's love. See, what motivates safeguarding, protecting that which is true, is a love for the truth. It's a love for Jesus. It's a love even for people, for the people that he's speaking to. And in the same way, we need to be willing to speak out clearly, especially when there's public opposition to the gospel. Especially when that public opposition to the gospel is hindering someone else from knowing the truth. You see, at the end of the day, what Paul's mentality was is to oppose in order to see redemption. In the same way, there are times where we must safeguard the truth in order to see redemption. And in this passage, what do we see the end result in verse 12? Sergius Paulus believed. Redemption. Another example in Acts of the word of God winning out. Another example of the light of Christ overwhelming darkness. The superiority of our God over the demonic. The good news of Jesus Christ triumphing over that which is evil. Now, as I thought about this passage today, and like I said, we're going to be brief today, I just want to, as we conclude here, just give a few takeaways that I think could apply to our lives as we think about living out the gospel even in the face of opposition. The first is simply this. We should expect opposition when doing gospel ministry. Right? Paul and Barnabas expected opposition for preaching and teaching about Jesus. Now, we might not experience severe opposition at times. We may not experience the type of opposition that perhaps our brothers and sisters are experiencing right now in Afghanistan. But we will experience it. It may be through media. It may be through trolls on social media. It may be through a professor at a university. It may be through a coworker or a neighbor or just someone who wants to be in an argument with you. But opposition is inevitable when we live for Jesus. However, there's joy in standing up for what is true in the face of opposition. There's a sweetness of joy that comes when we experience the, gra- the, the gratitude and the opportunity and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ when we encounter opposition for living for him. As one pastor puts it, in adversity, 
we have the opportunity to advertise the power of the gospel. It is in adversity that we have the opportunity to advertise the power of the gospel. We should stand firm against opposition. And you know what the promise of Scripture reminds us? Is that when we stand firm and we, when we display the worth of our Savior Jesus Christ, he is with us. Even in Matthew 18, he reminds us that he is with us until the end of the age. Number two, we should speak boldly to all people. Now, I love this. This passage reminds us that the gospel is for all people. Just as we've seen throughout the, the, the book of Acts, the gospel is both for those who are elite, who are high-ranking men and women in society, and also for the poor and the needy. It's for everyone. And here, Paul and Barnabas, they find an audience with a very influential leader. They ex- their experience reminds us of this simple truth, that where the Lord leads us is where he wants us. Where the Lord directs us is where he wants us. Now, the apostles are nobodies compared to the Roman proconsul, but they find themselves in front of him, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. You might find yourself in this city feeling like a nobody, feeling like you're nothing compared to the men and women of influence and power. But I want to encourage you this morning, where Jesus leads us, he can work mightily through us. And know that he has put you where he has for the opportunities to present the gospel to all people. And then finally, we see that the gospel still amazes people. Look at verse 12. I love this. It ends and he says, Then the proconsul believed. And when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, I love this because when I thought about this passage, I thought, you know what? he should be astonished by what just happened to this guy. Like Paul just blinded a man in front of him. Like that should be what left him astonished. But what left him amazed was not that Paul blinded this man. What left him amazed was the message of the gospel. What astonished him was the teaching of the Lord. What blew his mind was that there was salvation in Jesus Christ. That there was this man, Jesus born of a virgin, who lived, died, and rose again, who ascended into heaven, and is one day coming back to judge the living and the dead. What blew his mind was that in this moment he experienced forgiveness of sins. What blew his mind was that he experienced the promise of eternal life in Jesus. There are times when God can work and does work miraculously, like in this passage, where there are signs that point to the reality of his power, his divine nature, and his power over evil, just like he worked mightily through Paul here to blind this man. But the signs point ultimately to the greater power, which is the testimony of the gospel. At the end of the day, this message is a message of hope for us. A reminder that the greatest miracle is that Jesus Christ has lived, died, and resurrected from the dead for us. And as we think of this passage today, and as we think about the fact that the gospel message, the message that we cherish, overcomes that which is evil in this world. As we think about both the open doors that we'll have in this world, and also the opposition that we face, we're reminded of this truth. That what amazes us today, that we, like Elamus, was once blind, but now we see. We, like the proconsul, once was following the crooked path. 
but by God's grace, he has made our path straight through Jesus Christ. That message is what amazes us today. That message of hope, that message of security, that message that reminds us that anything we go through in this life, we have the one who has overcome it in us. That message is what encourages us and empowers us to follow in the footsteps of Paul and Barnabas, to proclaim God's word, to speak it, and to stand firm even in the face of opposition. And so today, as we bear witness to Christ, and even just a moment through baptism as we celebrate how Christ has changed lives in this congregation, let's remind ourselves that we want to be a people here at King's Church that is always amazed at what God is doing, that always finds our amazement in the God who can make straight today the crooked path, the one who can redeem your life, the one who can bring salvation and hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.